We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. This morning, we want to take a few moments and talk with you about life. Is that okay? Life is important to God because God is the creator of life. And we understand that in just a few days, January 22nd, will be the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. So it's very important that you and I as born-again, spirit-filled, biblical-believing believers know what the Word of God has to say about life. There are many issues happening in our world today, not just in the United States, but around the world regarding life. There's the issue of abortion, the issue of infanticide, the issue of gendercide when a, a particular gender is uh, killed at birth or after birth. It's happening around the world, particularly that in India and China because the preference is on males rather than females. So today, Yvonne and I are going to tag team just a little bit, and we want to talk to you about the, the, what the Scripture says about life and ask four questions that we need to honestly answer and address in our hearts and our lives this morning. From 1992 until 2017, there was over 1.6 billion abortions in the United States alone. But by 2018, that number has dropped uh, 800,000, which is a great thing. We're moving the numbers in the right direction. But worldwide, there's over 42 million abortions that have been done. Our numbers are dropping, and that's great. But it isn't time for us to stop pursuing this fight. It's not time for us to sit back and say, oh, great, things are getting better. I don't have to do as much. No, it's time for us to step up more and do more so that we don't have 800,000. If we have one, we have too many. Martin Luther King Jr. said, our lives begin to end the day that we become silent about things that matter. So let's talk about life. What does God say about human life? And how does the Bible define life? Well, first, God is life. Proverbs 8, 5, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And God gives life. Job 12, 10, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? God cherishes life. In Genesis 45, when Joseph, Joseph said to his brothers, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And then the gift of life is Christ. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then the gospel of Christ is the gospel of life. In 2 Corinthians 2.16, to the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. To simply say that, it's, it's basically this, God is life, and life is God. Without God, there is no life, and you can't have one without the other. So what does God value most of all in all the world? human life, people, individuals, us as a, uh, all together. In Psalms 8, 5, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And then Matthew 10, 3, it says, you are of more value 
than many sparrows. But how do we know God values hum- human life more than any else in, anything else in the world? Well, in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, and Bill touched on this Wednesday night, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds in the air, over the cattle, over the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Over everything, he gave us dominion. So in this last passage, it also talks about the value of being human. There's four ways of the value. First is the intrinsic value, which means we're valuable just because we're human, not because of our capacities or our abilities, because we all have different capacities and we all have different abilities, so our value could be different from those. But just because we're human, we're all valuable. We're equal. All people are equal, male, female. It says from every tribe and tongue throughout the ages are equal. So that means black and white, sick or healthy, tall or short, thin or fluffy. We're all valuable. We're also exceptional. Humans are more valuable than any other creature. Humans are the only ones that God breathed the breath of life into. He created everything, but humans are the only ones that he put his breath into to give life. <clears throat> and we're also eternal. It says we are image bearers of the eternal God. We are eternal. Heaven or hell, it's our choice, but we are eternal. <clears throat> In soci- society today, the big debate is, <clears throat> excuse me, when does human life begin? Well, if we look at the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for child is, and I have never taken Hebrew or Greek, so I'm just going to say I'll probably butcher these words, but it looks like it would be pronounced yaled, which refers to an infant in Exodus 2.9 when Pharaoh's daughter saved the infant, a toddler in Genesis 2.18 when Isaac was weaned from his mother, a youth or a young man in Genesis 4 when Lamech told his wives that he had killed a young man, and last but not least, but an unborn in Exodus when it refers to the unborn children. And each one of these passages, it's the exact same word. So at each stage in life, they are human. Each verse is using the same word, so the Old Testament clearly upholds that life begins at conception. What about the New Testament? Well, if we look at Luke, and in the Greek, the word baby is brifu, which refers to an unborn and newborn alike. Well, if we look at verse 41, we're talking about this is when Gabriel came, the whole story of Gabriel came to Mary and told her she was going to have a child, and then Mary goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. So in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but at the beginning of this story, when the Gabriel came to Mary, she was not with child. He said, you will be with child. And then it says that Mary hurriedly, hurriedly went to see her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months along. 
So when the Ga- April Gabriel was with Mary, she was not pregnant. Now Mary went from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It's the way the crow flies is about 75 miles. And most of us would think, well, you just go straight down and you get there. Well, back in those days, in between Nazareth and Jerusalem was Samaria. And we all know that Samaria was looked down on. They were the outcasts. So she would not have most likely traveled that way. So most likely she went east across the Jordan River, went down the Jordan Bank, and then back across the Jordan River. (coughs) So I know they didn't have Uber back then. She may have had a donkey. So the estimate is between two to ten days that it took her to get there. But she hurried. So by the time she left the angel Gabriel when she was not with child, to by the time she walked into Elizabeth's home, Mary became pregnant. Mary conceived, because it tells us. <clears throat> so we have 10 days in there. So when Mary arrives at the home, she's somewhere between one and 10 days along with Jesus. At that stage, Jesus would have been the size of the dot of a period at the end of a sentence. And yet, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy because that was Jesus. So even at the size of a dot, Jesus was fully God and fully human. But what does science tell us about, <clears throat> about life? <clears throat> well, fetal embryology teaches that at conception or fertilization, a living, a distinct, and a whole human being comes into existence. That's what science teaches us. If someone tells you differently, they're sharing with you their philosophy. They're not sharing with you actual science. So the Old Testament, the New Testament, and also our own science tell the same story, that at conception, we have a human. We have everything Nothing's added, nothing's taken away. Everything for us to develop into who we are today began at the very moment of conception. The second question I'll ask you this morning is, what does God say about the shedding of innocent blood? It's a really good question that we need to come to grips with in our modern theology and culture. See, here's the truth. What you and I love the most, we protect the most. Let me say that again. What we love the most, we protect the most. It's absolutely true. And the same is true for God. What He loves the most, He protects the most. And of all of His creation, what does God love the most? Well, that's you and me. It's human beings, human life. We're the apple of His eye. We're the crown of His creation. And God desires to protect human life above all else. And He does that in several different ways. He does it, number one, through his law. You know the scripture in the book of Exodus, the, Moses was given the Ten Commandments, and one of those is, thou shalt not kill. In a negative way, he protects human life through that law. He also protects it through stating it positively. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. A positive way to state that law. Matter of fact, in the negative law, there is a prohibition against intentional killing or taking of innocent life. And on the positive side, it brings protections to preserve human life. A part of the law of Moses you'll find in Deuteronomy 22.8 says, when you build a new house, 
shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if someone should fall from it. It's a protection for life. God enforces His law with warning of wrath and judgment on those who shed innocent blood. Ezekiel 22.3 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, a city that brings on herself doom by shedding blood in her midst. You become guilty because of the blood you have shed. And God does bring wrath and judgment on those who are indifferent to the taking of innocent human life. And may I say to you that silence in our society is consent. Silence is consent. Deuteronomy 21, 6 through 9 says, The elders shall testify, Our hands did not shed his blood, nor did our eyes see it shed. So you shall purge the guilt of the innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. What's the Scripture say? It doesn't matter if you didn't witness it. It still happened in your midst. This is a call to the world today, to the Christian community, to wake up and to arise We may say, well, I've never been touched by that, but it happened in our midst. It happened on our watch. We are still responsible to recognize and understand what God says. God comforts the victims of unjust violence with the promise of judgment against the violators. Psalm 9-2 says, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So the question this morning is, does God look at the taking of innocent life, abortion, infanticide, gendercide, as the shedding of innocent blood. Well, like many other references to the taking of life that we use today, many other terms that we use today, you'll not find those terms in the Scripture. They're simply not there. Just like lynching is not there, but yet it's a form of killing innocent life. We need to understand that God forbids the taking of innocent life, including abortion, infanticide, gendercide, just as He forbade murder, the taking of innocent life. Abortion is the shedding of innocent blood of an unborn human being. What else does the Bible tell tell us about the value of children? Well, it tells us when you read the Scripture, in all the categories of humanity, in all the stages of life, children are the most precious to God. There's something that God sees and values in children that we too need to understand. He wants to protect them and value them at every stage and every phase. Matthew 18, 5 and 6 says, Whoever receives one child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. We need to understand of all the ways that we choose to end human life, whether it's on a national level, whether it's on a governmental level, or a personal level, of all the ways we choose to end human life, child sacrifice is probably the most offensive to our Father. Leviticus 22 through 5 says, Any one of the people of Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. And if the people of the land do that, and they close their eyes to the man that does that, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan. God values the life of children, highly values the life of children. And when Israel was following the ways of those around them and throwing their children in the fires of sacrifice to a false god called Moloch, God stood up and said, enough, I don't want to see any more of that. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ 
to no longer occupy a position on the bench, but to stand up and say enough. Yvonne gave you the statistics that from 1992 until 2018, abortion had been cut in half in the U.S. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? That's wonderful. But my friend, it's no place to stop. It's time to stand up, be proactive, be involved, and let your voice be heard. Is abortion really child sacrifice? That's what we have to ask ourselves. That's what we have to reconcile in our mind. Well, think about it this way. Anytime we excuse, exchange human life for something else, there's a sacrifice involved. Anytime we exchange human life, a sacrifice is involved. So when someone chooses to abort an unborn child to save a reputation, to get a college degree, to save money, to hide their sexual sin, to please others, we are sacrificing that child for something else. Now, please, there's no condemnation. I understand the number of people in this room who've probably been marred and scarred by this horrible atrocity that's promoted as legal in our society. Can I tell you, just because something is legal doesn't mean it's moral and right. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's biblical and right. We have no condemnation whatsoever. Matter of fact, in just a moment, we're going to pray. We're not going to single you out. We're not going to ask you to stand up or raise your hand. We're just going to pray. And the grace and the mercy of God is going to flow through this room. And when we pray, Holy Spirit is going to touch you. And he's going to begin a healing work in your heart that you've carried for years. That's been a wound that would never close and never heal because you didn't understand there really is a way out and a way through. And that brings us to question three. How do we bring the grace of the gospel to the guilt of abortion so that people are forgiven and set free. What is our only hope? Our only hope is Jesus Christ. Our only hope is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Christ shed his innocent blood so that our sin may be atoned. The word atone, you know what it means? It means to cover over, to cover over, to cover up so that our sin could be covered up. On the, Christ, on the cross, Christ bore the penalty and the punishment for every sin we would ever commit. Listen, I don't believe that God has a category ranking from 1 to 1,000 of sins. It's all the same in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter if it's an aborted child. It doesn't matter if it's a lie. It doesn't matter if it's a theft. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. And because of the cross, I can say with confidence, regardless of what we've done, there's forgiveness, there is atonement, there is a covering for those who turn to Him. You see, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead to bring assurance to us that His sacrifice is enough. Never again does blood have to be shed for the sin of mankind. His sacrifice, once and for all, the writer said, Christ shed His blood for you and I. So we ask ourselves, what we must do to be forgiven from our sins, to be cleansed from those things that haunt us and follow us? The first thing that we do is we confess our sin. And in that word confession, it's more than just speaking words, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But that word carries with an aspect of grief, of godly sorrow, of understanding what we had done and how we did it, and asking God to forgive us for that and then turn us away from it. Turn us away from it. Psalm 25:11 says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. 
2 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without, your, without regret. So we first confess. And then we have to trust the fact that God is true, that Jesus' sacrifice really is enough, that he did suffer for my sin. Ephesians 1, 7, the Bible says, In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness for our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then we apply the good news of the gospel to our conscience, and we turn our guilt into a bold testimony. This is what the writer says in Hebrews 9.14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And when we choose to confess, and when we choose to trust, and when we choose to apply, God chooses to forgive. Bow your heads with me. Father, in this room, there are men and women who have been ravaged by the horrors of abortion. They're not bad people, they're good people. They're in a bad place and they had to make a very difficult decision. And Lord, because of that decision, they've carried the guilt and the sorrow, the grief over the loss of a child for years and years. Today, Holy Spirit, sweep over this room. Today, Holy Spirit, let that confession occur. Today, Holy Spirit, let us wholly trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us accept the forgiveness He offers. Right now, would you, Father, come and put your arms around that woman or that man who's the father of a child that was aborted? Would you put your arms around them? And will you love them, caress them, comfort them, forgive them? Holy Spirit, do your work in this house. Do your work in this place. So the fourth question is, what does God call us to do to stop the shedding of innocent blood? Well, first off, he says in Exodus 20, you shall not murder. His word tells us. Number two is, we're not to be indifferent to the murder of innocence. Do not turn a blind eye. Deuteronomy 21.7. Then they shall answer and say, our hands have not shed this blood, nor have I seen it. Actually, if you'll put that um, slide up now, I'm going to kind of throw in an illustration here, if they can get that up for you. There we go. In Old Testament time, I hope you can see it. There's a body. There's three cities, and there's a body laying out. In Old Testament time, if somebody came across someone that had been killed and they did not know who they were, they would call the elders from the nearest cities to come out. And they would measure to see who, which town the body was closest to. And the town that, had, that that body was the closest to is the town that would take the responsibility of that murder. And there was a sacrifice that had to be made. So they would go and they would get a new heifer, one that had never been worked, one that had never had a yoke on it. 
And they would take that heifer and they would go to a piece of land that had water on it for cleansing. So it wasn't just any property, it was an expensive piece of property because it would have water on it. And they would take that heifer and they would sacrifice that heifer. And as they would be sacrificing that heifer, they would speak these words. If I can find them. And uh, they would say, our, our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. But they were having to make the sacrifice for the shedding of innocent blood. They were having to do an atonement, a covering over that sin. They were having to take that responsibility. We don't have to do that today. Because Jesus took that for us. Amen? Jesus is our atonement. And then God calls us to actively intervene to rescue. In Proverbs 24, 11, it says, Deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? And then rescue the weak and the needy. In Psalm 82, 3 through 4, Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the speechless in the causes of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. And Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, we all know this one, also do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. But do we have any biblical examples of rescues? We have a lot. I had to just narrow it down. Reuben rescued Joseph from being murdered by his brothers in Genesis 37. The midwives rescued the newborn baby boys from infanticide in Exodus. Moses' mother rescued him in Exodus. Rahab rescued the spies in Joshua. And Esther rescued her people from lawful genocide in Esther. Out of all those, the five of those, three of them were government ordered. And they went against the government because they knew what was wrong in their hearts. Jesus taught us to use practical means and personal resources to save human life. In Luke, we have the story of the Good Samaritan. The man had been beaten, robbed, and been left to die. And the good religious leaders went out of their way to walk the other way. Why? Why is that? Because the farther we get away from something, the less we feel the responsibility. But the Samaritan, the one that everybody looked down on, he went to him. Did he leave him there? We all know the story. He didn't. Did he have to? No. He made a choice. He picked him up. He took him to the nearest inn. He, he fixed him as best he could. And he left his money, his resources, for continued care. Today in China, Steve talked about it just a little bit. They're allowed one child. Some maybe two, but only when they're 
told they can have a second child. Otherwise, they're required to have an abortion. That goes on today in our world. So today you say, what can I do? Well, we have several pregnancy help centers in, in Tallahassee. And did you also know that in Tallahassee, we have the largest Planned Parenthood facility in our state? And did you know that they actively recruit our daughters from the schools to do face-to-face -face mentoring with other girls? They Uber them in, they pay them a salary. Are we aware of that? I wasn't aware of that until Thursday when I went to this meeting. I was appalled, appalled that they're sending Ubers to our schools to take our girls back and train them. We've got to step up. We have got to be aware of what's going on. We can't say, I didn't know that. I grew up hearing older people say, well, that doesn't affect me. It does affect us. When we turn our back, when we turn a blind eye, we're saying, I don't care enough. And that does affect us. We've read the scripture that whenever people turn their backs, when they turn their eyes, a blind eye, God turns his face from them. Do you think that's what's happening in Tallahassee? Look at the murder rates, the, the robberies, the everything that's going on. And we have the largest Planned Parenthood in the state. There's, in one of the books I'm reading, there's a testimony of a lady that ran one that admitted that, because a lot of people will say, well, Planned Parenthood gives out birth control. She admitted that the birth control she was giving out was a very low dose, very high risk of getting pregnant, so that they would be back for an abortion. We're not aware because we're not checking into things. We need to be aware. We will be accountable. We bring, this is not a, good, a fun subject, but we love you. And we know that when each one of us stand before the Lord, we're going to have to be accountable for things. And we can't say, I didn't know. Because we do know. We do know what's going on. And we have to be knowledgeable of what's going on. And we have to do whatever we can do and volunteer go in answer phones or help organize things or or talk to young girls whatever it is that you can do volunteer or donate money donate clothes donate ba uh, baby wipes and diapers there's always something that you can do each one of us and this year in particular we have elections off and on but this year we have a large election and I'm telling you to vote biblical principles don't vote for a party because there isn't a right party vote for somebody who is in their own life trying their best to live biblical principles and who wants to bring biblical vi principles to our government that's who we need to be voting for because the more we get biblical-minded people into our government, the more our laws will begin to change toward biblical values. As long as we aren't checking into someone to see what they really stand for, that's on us. If we just go in and click a party and vote for all of them across the board and we haven't done our research, 
we're accountable for that. I don't want to do that. I want to know. I, and I, in the past, I've been guilty of just, oh, whoever you're going to vote for. But I started doing my research because I realized I have to stand before my Lord. And I have to answer for who I, whose name I check on that ballot. He cares about that. And I want him to hear my pleas. I want him to hear my prayers. And if I'm not standing up for the unborn, if I'm not standing up for the neglected, for the needy, I'm accountable for that. And he's not going to listen to my prayers. So please vote for biblical values. So I'm asking that we open our hearts, we open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and and we see what's going on around us. When someone comes up to you, we have, we have people in our neighborhoods, in our state, right here in this congregation that have been hurt by abortion. So please open your eyes and ears. Be God's eyes and ears. But if somebody comes up to you and shares with you, please express to them how sad that you are that they're in this situation. But mean it. People know when you don't really mean it. Mean it. You're so heartbroken that they're in this situation. And then listen to them. Just let them talk. Just let them pour out their heart to you. And then inform them by asking them, do you know anything about your baby? Do you know anything about abortion? And do you know what options that you have that are available? Be a good Samaritan. Tell them, I don't know all the answers because I don't know all the answers. But I will help you have your baby. I will walk with you through this and we will find the answers. Because a lot of times they're all alone. They're all alone. They have no idea what to do and they turn to drastic measures. But if we have someone standing with us, and maybe they don't know the answers, but at least they're walking with you, it makes it, gives them so much more courage and strength to make better choices. Almost a year ago, last June, I took a trip. I drove up and I picked up my cousin and we drove up and got my sister and we went and saw my brother. And then, trip back. So a lot of driving. Well, um, I love my cousin to death. She's a phenomenal woman. She's a great woman of God. Well, on the way back, after I dropped my sister off, it was just her and I, and we were driving, and conversations, I think we talked about everything. But somehow, it, it came over to abortion, and, and she, all of a sudden, she just stopped. And she shared with me that when she was a young woman, she had had an abortion, and how it tormented her and still does some, but it tormented her for years because she felt alone. She felt like she had no other option. And then later in years, she did give her heart over to the Lord and the Lord has been working in her and blessing her and I'm so thankful for that. But people are right beside us. I would have never guessed my cousin had had an abortion. You would have never been able to tell but in the right moment, she felt comfortable enough to share. So we need to be aware, we need to be open so that if somebody comes to us, we don't condemn them, 
because you know it's only by the grace of God it wasn't me it's only by the grace of God it wasn't you or you any one of us sitting here it's only by the grace of God that we made the decisions that kept us from going down that road so we should never judge someone because they made a different decision let's love them Jesus doesn't condemn us think of your sin I know mine it's right there Satan reminds me of it all the time God didn't condemn me he loved me he forgave me and that's what's available for them so let's be God's eyes and ears and and his heart let's be his heart and let's share God's grace and his love with those around us that are hurting and this isn't just women the gentleman that was doing the seminar he's a pastor and he said he had never touched on abortion before and he talked about sanctity of life and in his congregation there was a woman just weeping weeping as he was talking and all of a sudden she stands up and she says I need forgiveness because I had an abortion and I never told you she was a deacon's wife I never told you because I didn't think you would want me to work do anything in the church and she's weeping and all of this is just coming out and her husband's weeping and he stands up next to her and he goes I need you to forgive me because I made you get that abortion men are hurting also because they've taken women or they've encouraged or insisted when they were younger because they've made wrong decisions so it's not just a female thing it's male and female are hurting from this our world is hurting from this and we need to be good Samaritans we need to have God's heart you know years ago CHC was known for its music I would love for all nations to be known as rescuers father in Jesus name we pray that your word take root in our hearts let your Holy Spirit motivate us to do more than we've ever done before open our eyes open our ears Make us alert and aware of situations around us where we can be your voice, your reason, your direction in the life of hurting people. I pray it in Jesus' name. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.